uh, which brings us to Romans 15. And the, um, the teachings of Jesus uh, and through Paul to these Romans in dealing with a lot of uh, kind of do's and don'ts of their new Christian life. The whole point of Romans was to really explain uh, gracefully this idea of salvation by grace through faith. And then once that was established, then it was, you know, what shall we do? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul began to explain this new life that we have. How do we walk? How do we live? And, and last week we talked about the weaker vessels and the stronger vessels and that kind of thing. Well, in chapter 15, it's really the last the first 13 verses are really the last set of instructions uh, to this New Testament church on how the church is going to be different and peculiar. And it starts with a really interesting uh, concept. It says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. So, the word bear there is uh, a word that doesn't mean in the Greek what it kind of means in English. If I tell you, if, if, if your parents, you've had to tell your kids to bear with their little baby brother or bear with their siblings. And we would then define the word bear as put up with. But the idea of putting up with someone still gives you a sense of, of pride. So the, but, and the word bear there actually means to hold up. Uh, I don't know about construction. I did a little bit of study on this, but I didn't, I didn't understand any of it. So, But um, there is a bearing wall. Am I correct, Dave? And the bearing wall, almost like the cornerstone of a building or the foundation of a building, it is that thing that does most of the work. And so that word bear and bearing wall, I never connected those before. That when we who are strong in the Lord uh, have to go back and think about our first steps as Christians. Our first years as Christians. When we didn't know anything. We were needing the milk of the word. And so sometimes we are quick to point out the scruple. So what's a scruple? Larry, does the old King James say scruple in verse 1? No, it says infirmities. Infirmities, which is sin, the weaknesses, the scruples, the, 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 the mistakes um, that a new Christian might make trying to kind of maneuver through this change from the old nature to the new nature. And so we want to hold them up um, and not to please ourselves. Um, there's so many verses in the Bible that cover this. Uh, Galatians 6.22 says, Bear one another's burdens. It's the same word. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Pastor? 
Yes, sir. To take the bearings uh, even further, is all the bearing walls do, as we should do, is transfer the weight to the foundation. Oh, really? Wow, that is really interesting. See, you should have a website on that. <laughs> See, that was easier to understand. All, all the things I looked at, I couldn't get. Boy, that's really good. They trans. Our, and, it's, and that's interesting because sometimes as a pastor, and this is something that I was talking, I had lunch with Pastor Garrett this week, and he's doing pretty good. And uh, and uh, that's interesting because that one thing we talked about was a pastor's inclination sometimes is to take the burden of all the peoples of the church, and you just can't do that. You can't carry it. But you can certainly uh, help those. I'm going to remember that because you can help those who are going through to point them to the foundation. And that's, that's what we do. Very good. Um, but we were talking a little bit with, uh, I met with a couple pastors this week uh, for prayer and, and the idea of um, um, that churches would be better served to confess their sins one to another instead of hammering home the weaknesses of other people just to admit we all have weaknesses we all struggle in different areas and we're all trying to be pleasing to God and sometimes we stumble and, and we really got to be there um, 1 Corinthians 10 23 and 24 says this all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So not just our own, but seek the other's well-being. We live in a culture that seems to crave to be offended. Everything offends. Everything hurts us. Everything bothers us to where people can't say anything anymore. And we don't want to create that scenario in a church. In a church, you want to allow yourself to not be easily offended. Just bear with the scruples of others. I, I won't share the details of this, but Larry was sharing with me. Larry uh, um, does a... Uh, online Sunday school with his old church in Maine uh, and uh, there was a certain discussion going on and Larry you can correct me if I get this wrong but the pastor who was teaching the lesson stopped while the discussion was going back and forth and said okay we need to put it we need to move to a different direction this conversation is not edifying is that correct Larry and so and I commented, I saw well, that was really, really a, a great job by the pastor. Because what does that verse says? Do not, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So is your conversation edifying or just pounding home? You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that uh, one of the thing, definitions of love is that it is long-suffering. And the more you love somebody, the more of their scruples you put up with. And my example of this is always how we treat our children 
compared to how we treat other people's children. We are more patient with our children. When they're in the store trying to reach the little things and if something falls down on the ground, you know, we say, oh, look, at Johnny's trying to help us shop. He's so cute. And we see somebody else's son do the same thing, and we say, boy, that parent ought to get their kid in act. He's going to spill stuff all over the place. So we're just more patient, we're, and, and that's what love does. And we know that it is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it, long-suffering? And that's when we get closer to God, understand that he has certainly borne our scruples, amen? He has certainly put up with all of our mess. And he simply asks us to do the same. Bear with one another's scruples. I like that word scruples. It sounds good. Uh, uh, but we just, we just uh, have to be patient with the weaknesses of others so that others can be patient with our weaknesses. And that's how it's supposed to work. Um, verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification there's that same thought process and according to the bible who's our neighbor everybody is our neighbor it's the good samaritan teaching again leading to edification and that is the edification is a simple word <laughs> of encouragement uh, philippians 2 3 and 4 let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So our life as new believers, as those saved by grace, is to encourage those around us, be patient and long-suffering, and bear with their scruples, not approve of them this is a big difference and so the church gets this wrong in in some of the new wave of teachings that homosexuality is okay and this is okay and sleeping around is okay getting drunk is okay that's not bearing with the scruples the, the bearing with the scruples you know paul says i'm all things to all people but he says i don't i don't take part in all things but i understand if somebody has an issue that, that I bear with it, not compromise myself, and not approve of those things. Does that make sense to everybody? But we go to somebody who comes to us and they say, well, I'm really struggling with this issue in my life. Your first step should not go to the pastor, bring him before the deacon board, and have them ask to leave. He just doesn't do that. This is one of the things we prayed for with Garrett. He's got a new job with a new pastor. And the pastor asked him to ask his mother and his brother to leave the church, that they weren't good for the church. Well, that's the very opposite of this verse, very opposite of this. And so um, we want to look at 1 Corinthians 9.19. Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. So what is Paul's ultimate goal in that verse it is to win souls and to win souls he makes himself a servant to all men and that is more important for us to keep a bridge open than to win an argument or win a debate and so 
I know in our current culture of social media and, and online debates, not everything that people post is edifying and encouraging. And uh, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We had a uh, situation in camp at one time where um, a group of uh, potential campers were asked for a certain person not to be uh, at the camp because they had posted something months before online that was really hurt the people and it was and they just didn't think that they didn't feel comfortable so we got to be really careful those that keyboard can get you in trouble be very careful um, verse 3 of Romans 15 for even Christ did not please himself but that is as it is written the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope so the first two verses encourages us to put up with the newness of a new Christian. They're stumbling and they're, they're failing and, and they're misunderstandings. And we uh, take that weight and we, we transfer it to Jesus. I really like that a lot. Um, and then what Paul does is he gives the best example of that ever. And that is Jesus on the cross who bore our sins. Isn't that what we say? He bore our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And I, I want you to, if you would, just turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Um, I know all of you have experienced this in your own Christian walk, in your own personal Bible studies. Um, and... So what I'm about to share with you is nothing new. Um, but in, uh, I have a, I'm, I'm a man who works best with a system. Of, of, uh, uh, a system. In our services for Sunday morning, there, there's no right or wrong way to do it. But I am one who is, is, has habits and I get into different habits all the time and so we have our prayer our songs our another song and our verse so we have an order to the service and I'm just comfortable with so there's the same with the week so earlier in the week in my study of Romans um, what I do part of my consistent is on Mondays I, I try to take the day off but I, I read in the morning in my personal Bible study, I read each chapter that I'm going to next, whatever Sunday night is, Wednesday night is, Sunday morning is. And I outline the chapter without reading anything or, going to, or looking up any other verses. I just outline it. That way, from Monday on, I know where God is leading our attention that week. So in doing that, um, and I read verse 3, and I immediately thought of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Let's read it. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, through the week, this verse kept coming up. 
It came up in the, ver the chapter this morning. It came up in a sermon I listened to um, as I was trying to sleep, and I sometimes I'll listen to a sermon. And but here's what I I I've noticed in Second Corinthians five twenty one. I always quote the first half. Always. I do it. Whenever I give the gospel, and if you ever listen to the, um, to the uh, videotape sermons, they always have the gospel in it, and because I don't know who's watching those. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, if I see a bunch of familiar faces, the gospel will be there, but I'm more attentive to it and giving a little bit of an invitation in every sermon, whether it's the Wednesday or the Sunday, because I never know who's going to check it out. And so, um, and I always think that my brother might check in just to laugh at me or see what a fool I am. So if he does, he's going to hear the gospel. So I, I have that in the back of my mind. So... Romans 10, 9, I quote almost every week, John 14, 6, and this verse. But I always quote the first half of it. Well, the second half says that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that phrase, I heard, or I read it, and I wrote that down, and then I was just listening to a random sermon, and it was the verse he was talking about. And then I was talking to somebody else, and they quoted this verse again. And this is what I'm talking about that you've experienced. When you read a verse, and then it just keeps coming up in different places, and you start to think what? Well, God must really want me to focus. God must have a reason for me to keep coming. In this verse, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So it connects to Romans in the fact that we are to bear with each other's scruples. We are to, to always not look at our own needs, but the needs of others. Uh, and then he gives the example of Jesus. And what Jesus did for us on the cross, this week it became, oh, I remember what it was. So I heard this sermon, and then somebody asked John MacArthur, I was just watching a little video, to explain the gospel. And he just used this verse to explain the whole gospel. And the idea that there was a substitutionary transfer. Our sins came to Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness came to us. And so it was like God was specifically communicating to me to quit leaving out the second part of this verse. That when I talk about 2 Corinthians 5.21, stop stopping at the comma. There's more because the second half is even better than the first. And so for us, that's the example. And if Christ bore our burdens and took our sins, then we can bear with the little idiosyncrasies of other people. Because he certainly puts up with us. And he took all of those sins upon him. And that's what he's asking us to do. Uh, John 13, 13 through 15 says, You call me teacher and Lord, you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you should do as I have done to you. Christ is always our example. We follow. In, remember the old WWJD bracelets that what would Jesus do? Uh, well, we just want to read what Jesus would do. And he washed those uh, apostles' feet to give them an example. Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. This is another very uh, familiar chapter around here. We, we quote this a lot. And uh, we'll be done with the book of Acts in a few weeks. And then we'll head right into, we're going to go right into Galatians. And it's going to be Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So um, verse 5 of Philippians 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there is verse after verse about Jesus being our example and us following his, um, his ways. But here's the difference. There are people today who approve of sin and then say uh, that Jesus would do the same. That Jesus would, you know, one thing I heard, just some church in New York today, they had their guest speaker was a, uh, uh, a transvestite, a man dressed up as a woman. And they came in and the whole church stood up and, and gave a standing ovation to this lady, this man dressed as a lady. And they said, we are following the example of Christ who accepts everybody. Well, you got it all wrong. That is completely off base. Here's what Christ's example was. Who being in the form of God, verse 6, did not consider it robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the point of death, even death on the cross. So what was the example in Philippians 2 we're supposed to follow? In its complete sacrifice of ourself. Paul said, I die daily. And when you are, the Bible is very clear about the genders and, and men not dressing as women and even makes reference to men be careful not to have long hair because you don't want to confuse those and so what that church is doing is they're doing the very opposite of what God says what God says to follow his example is Jesus who was God himself humbled himself became a man of all things and then became obedient unto death so to follow God's example would be to say I have a tendency to desire to dress up as a woman but I know God would not like that so I'm not going to do that because I'm going to what? Present my life a living sacrifice. And so we're doing the opposite. It's Tower of Babel stuff. Uh, great verses really here. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 18. It's talking about, it's, it's not completely connected to what we're talking about. Verse 18 says, servants be submissive to your masters. 
So it's basically talking about being a good employee or good worker. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Verse 19. For this is commendable because of conscience towards God, uh, one who endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it is when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So again, the example of Christ here, he's talking about being submissive to those in authority over you, even if they're awful people. Daniel, Joseph, and other examples in Scripture. And then the example he gives is, for Christ sacrificed his own life. He put himself under. Remember Pilate when he said to him, don't you know I have the power to let you go? And Jesus says, you don't have the power to do anything. <laughs> you think you have power, but you don't. I, the Bible says very clearly that he gave up his life. Nobody took it from him. And that he uh, went like a lamb to slaughter, saying nothing. And we also know from the Bible that he could have called legions of angels at any time. So when we are to be like Christ, all the examples are the self-sacrificial examples to God. And so back in Romans chapter 15, that's what Paul is following, that thought process. Leading a life of pleasing your neighbor leading to edification, verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself. Again, the example of Christ, and here's how Satan is really twisting it. Well, by accepting gay pastors and lesbian pastors and everything else, we're just following the example of Christ. No, no, no. Well, he ate with publicans and sinners. He absolutely did. And he, do you remember what his reason was for sitting with publicans and sinners? He said, because the people who are well do not need a doctor, but the people who are sick. So he went to the people who he felt were sick. Why were they sick? Because they were not saved. They did not know him. So when we go into the world and we are confronted with all of that, we understand that the sick are those without Christ and the solution is the gospel which is verse 4 for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patient and comfort of scriptures might have hope wow what a great verse isn't that a good verse so if we want to follow the examples of Christ we have to study what was written Know what he said. Know what is written. And man, will they give you hope and comfort. Uh, uh, there's nothing like the Bible. There's just a, it, it is a life-changing living book. And uh, from the very beginning, when, when Liz and I, it, it really started for us, for me anyway. I don't know if I'm speaking for Liz. Uh, she was studying the Bible and in a better church than I was at the beginning. 
but it was when I started uh, just listening to Sparky's. That was when um, the Bible became clearer to me. And then consistently going to church and Sunday school and then signing up for some classes at Bible college. This book, there, there's just nothing, nothing like it. Um, verse 5. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. So what is Paul asking for in verse 5? May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be what? Like-minded. Unity. He says in verse 6 that you may be with one mind and one mouth Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am all for the world coming together. I'm all for it. But if the world's going to all come together, who gets to decide what they agree, what they're going to agree on? And we have seen in our current political situation the anger of of the other side. And the anger of, of that, that side, not which side we're on, but one side or another. Um, so how do we come into unity? Well, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. He is the foundation. Larry did a great job of reading that to, today. Philippians 2.2 2 says, Fill, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, each esteem others better than themselves. So be like-minded. Now that's Philippians 2, verses 2 and 3. Verses 5 then says, let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. So he says to be like-minded, and to be like-minded, then we have to have the mind of Christ. Ephesians 4, 2 through 6. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. The unity is in all the oneness. There's only one baptism. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one body. If, if it was interesting, when we get into Corinthians, and we get into Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, all those letters are addressed in a very interesting way. He addresses them to the church that is in Corinth to the church of God in Galatia there were no denominations back then there was it was those who were Christians and those who were not Christians we are the ones through pride arrogance love of money whatever the motivation which we talked about over the last couple of weeks went out and, and branched out to these different thoughts and teachings simply to build a name for ourselves. And that completely ruined our unity. I remember when 
Liz was um, kind of sharing with me her, her faith early. I was, and she asked me if I was going to church, and I said I wasn't going to church, and that I had, uh, the night I was saved, it was at a very charismatic church. Very, and It was Easter Sunday, and it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild, a lot of stuff going on. People running around and speaking in tongues, and just, it was just wild. Um, and so I told her that I just, I'm, I'm shy, and I was kind of, and she says, well, that stuff doesn't happen where I go. I said, really? She says, yeah, we just sit and listen. And um, So she, I said, well, what kind of church is it? She said, well, it's a Baptist church. Well, I lived in Orange County. I immediately went to the Yellow Pages to find a Baptist church. Five pages of them. <laughs> so many. And so the Bible says clear that God is not the author of confusion. And the book is where unity comes from. The Bible is where unity comes from. It's very... You can connect. Verse 4, the things that were written were written for our learning. And verse 5, now we want to be like-minded. So how are we like-minded? We get together and we study the book. We simply studied the book. Not for doubtful disputations. And that was uh, something Larry mentioned about the Sunday school. The debate going back and forth in Sunday school, it was an eschatological debate. Um, that didn't have an answer. We know the Lord is coming back, and some people are pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib, and people have different, and we're not to debate those things because we don't have all the answers. What we know is that the Lord is coming back someday, and we're going to meet him in the air, and we're going to be with him forever. We ought to be happy and unified on that point. Um, so then... God is trying in this chapter to teach the early Christians in Rome, the Jews especially, to unify with the Gentiles. So verse 7 says, Therefore, I really like this verse. I want you to think about this verse for a second. Receive one another as Christ received us to the glory of God. And then I want to tell you about something that we made a decision on 25, 30 years ago. Um, so think about that for a second. Receive one another as Christ received us. So how did Christ receive us? Pardon me, Dolores? Unconditionally. Were we perfect when we met him? Did we have all our scruples in a row? The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We want people cleaned up before we receive them. And that's not how God received us. He received us as a sinner with need of salvation. And he stood at the door and knocked. And when we opened that door, he called us, gave us that gift... And we need to receive others exactly how he received us, which is with all grace, all mercy, undeserved kindness, undeserved long-suffering. And uh, we want to do the same. Again, not approving of the scruples, but bearing patiently with those scruples, sharing with them from the verses how those scruples 
are not what God would approve of, and then patiently helping that person uh, get victory over those scruples or infirmities. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promise made to the fathers. That's a theological verse. Jesus Christ became a servant to the circumcision. Who's the circumcision? Those are the Jews. And Christ was the promised Messiah from Genesis 3.15 that came through the Jews. And he came <clears throat> for the Jews, for the truth of God to confirm the promise made to the fathers. Well, who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And what was the promise that he made to those fathers? He promised them a Messiah. What were they waiting for? The whole Old Testament, as we've been going through on Wednesday night, is the story of Jesus. The Gospels in every version. Larry brought that out beautifully today, talking about Samson and the lion. And so, the, Christ is in all of it. But look at verse 9. This is really important. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, <clears throat> as it is written. So he's really trying to convince the Jews to kind of put up with what they think are the weird habits of the Gentiles. Not getting circumcised, not following the law, were kind of weird people to them. In fact, there's a word that the Jews had for the Gentiles, and it was dogs. And God is saying to them now, we understand that Christ, the confirmed promise of God came through those of the circumcision that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Whenever the New Testament says as it is written, it's almost always referring to an Old Testament verse. So look at these verses. <clears throat> for this reason, I confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Psalm 18, 49. Verse 10, again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's Deuteronomy 32, 43. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. Loud him, all ye peoples. That's Psalm 117, 1. And again, Isaiah says in Isaiah 11, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he will rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. What an incredible prophecy of the Old Testament. That who's the root of Jesse? It's Jesus. Jesse is, is David's father. And so this is the king that's going to come through the line of Jesse, through David. And we are told all the way back in Isaiah that he will reign over the Gentiles. And in him the Gentiles shall have hope. So what Paul is saying Put up with these scruples. Esteem others better than yourselves. Edify and encourage. And understand this. Even though Jesus was this servant of the circumcision. And the promise of the Old Testament. It's always been known. If you study your Bibles. Study your Torahs. It's always been known that the Gentiles were going to be included. This is nothing new.
That's, and, and how does Paul know this? Because it is written. Our hope is in the scriptures. This is nothing. And, and sometimes, I, I will not mistakenly, but we understand that, that Paul has said in our study of the book of Acts that because you have rejected him, I'm now going to go to the Gentiles. And Paul was specifically called by God to go to the Gentiles. But this wasn't something that God just came up with last minute because the Jews rejected him. This has always been the plan, that we would be unified, that now we can truly say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what is the proof of this? It's verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit. That was really what changed everything. And if you go back to Acts chapter 10, and Peter went and spoke to Cornelius. And Peter had saw the vision of the animals that he told God he wasn't going to kill and eat. And God told him, don't call anything uh, common that I call blessed. And then when he went to Cornelius, he said, I've never really been to a Gentile's house before. But I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And then something happened that changed everything. Do you remember what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles. For the first time, that Pentecost spiritual event happened to Gentiles. And Peter and those with him were astonished. And when... Certain men came proclaiming that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. That was the testimony of Peter. No, 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 no. I saw with my own eyes that without circumcision, God still gave them the Holy Spirit. So it is the Spirit that really is the, the source of our unity. And we all in this church have done a very decent job of understanding how different we are we're from all walks of life we have all different likes and dislikes some of us are loud some of us hardly ever say anything some of us are men's men some of us not quite men's men some of us are are athletic some of us are musical and we have different likes and dislikes personalities but man once we start talking about we have the same spirit and when I say to a, a group of, of 100 people from all different walks of life, that boy, isn't it nice to know that the Spirit lives within us and that we know we have eternal life. And they all say amen at the same time. And you look at their faces and they're all experiencing the same thing. That is the miracle of the church. It's the miracle of the body. And it is what unity is. And it's why the world will never get it until they get the Holy Spirit. They just never will understand what we're doing until God saves them. And then they quickly feel part of it. They quickly do. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these verses. Lord, they are just verses for us. This is a good Sunday night encouragement to us, Lord, that we, as those who love your word, we, we listen to it three times a week and four in Sunday school. We study it on our own. We teach it to our children and to our 
uh, classes and clubs. Lord, we know that it's sometimes a challenge uh, to put up with new Christians and, and Christians who don't study and they have kind of wild views and, and scruples that, that bother us. But Lord, as you have completely forgiven us and you have put up with a lifetime of infirmities in our lives, Lord, let us simply follow your example, present our bodies a living sacrifice, esteem others higher than ourselves, and we'll be truly walking in the example of Christ. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.